Okay, this morning, having prayer, haven't had prayer, we will start with Isaiah 54, 11. All right, you should have your handouts there. And to set the context, remember, in Isaiah 53, prophesied the coming Messiah who would atone for the sins of the church. And then in 54, 1 through 10, it showed that the church would expand greatly. That's what we looked at last week. And then this week in verses 11 through 17, will show that God will grow them into a beautiful and a peaceful city. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. And uh, I will call on um, our pastor this morning, if you'll read for us verses 11 through 17 of Isaiah 54. 11 through 17, okay. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, where you shall not fear, and from terror, where it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of Yahweh, the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Okay, so God is going to grow his people. The church is going to expand, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be a peaceful city. When we start out in Genesis... Uh, before this, before Adam sinned, we had a garden, a beautiful garden with precious stones there. And those are, are alluded to here in this passage. And then as we get into the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation, uh, we have that instead of a garden, we have a city. So God gradually grows his people from a garden setting into a beautiful city a beautiful and peaceful city going from garden to city alright verses 11 and 12 here in your notes uh, they particularly show that God will make his remnant into something beautiful the precious stones should remind them of the Edenic conditions E-D-E-N-I-C So we see, um, he says, afflicted, one, storm-tossed, and not comforted. That's the way they are now. He says, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphire. These are, these are all precious jewels, and uh, which reminds us in the Garden of Eden, we saw in Genesis 2.12, Um, 
we read there that, and after he talks about the rivers, he says, and the gold of that land is good, but Nellium and onyx stone are there. So we see the precious stones there. And then we also see the pearly gates and all those precious stones in Revelation chapter 21, verses 17 to 18. Um, so it's what this is teaching us is that the original intent in Genesis 2 and 3 is now realized in Revelation 21 where we have a city built with precious stones. And the precious stones were in the Garden of Eden and so the original intent of God for man in the Garden of Eden is realized. There'll be in a city though instead of a garden. Okay, we read that on uh, in verse 13, after reading about the precious stones, it says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord. Okay, we'll come over here to Bud next. And Bud, if you will look up for us uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 21. And... Mike, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. Matthew twenty eight, excuse me, eleven verses twenty eight through thirty. All right, now in verse thirteen um, of Isaiah fifty four, Isaiah says, "All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children." Uh, remember now, they're in Babylon. Uh, they're not listening to the prophets. So if they're in Babylon and they are not listening to the prophets, where are they doing all their learning? Where's all their learning coming from? Man. Man, in particular. Babylonians. Babylonians, yeah. Sinful man. Okay, so let's... Um, which is not good. And that's probably what we do a lot too. So let's uh, have Ephesians 4, 17 through 21 read to us. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So this seemingly sort of, you know, thing you just might just read over and not pay much attention to. But we have all your children will be taught by the Lord. That's a pretty important statement. These people have spent their, at least their last few years, learning from the Babylonians because they certainly weren't listening to the prophets. And we see what happens when we listen to the world instead of listening uh, to Jesus. We read here that we're not to walk 
as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Futility of their thinking. Their thinking is futile. So if we learn from the world instead of learning from Christ, our thinking is futile and our understanding is darkened. Now this was a state of these people. Futility thinking, dark understanding, alienated from the life of God. They had no fellowship with God. They were without God in the world. They were ignorant. They had hard hearts. They were callous, and they had given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But then in verse 20, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.20, this is not the way you learn Christ. So we need to realize that before we became Christians, that we did not learn from Jesus Christ. We learned from the world, which is exactly what God's people were doing here in Babylon. And uh, so we need to make sure we're learning Christ and that we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We can learn from the world and have this kind of mindset in Ephesians 4 that we've read, or we can learn from Christ. And what does uh, Matthew tell us in Matthew 11? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so Jesus commands us to come to him and to learn from him and not from the world. And notice he says that you will find rest for your souls. And um, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So we start learning, learning from the Lord we will have peace, as it says in uh, Isaiah fifty-four thirteen. It says, "Your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children." So, we labor in the world, thinking the world's thoughts after them. Then we are going to not have peace. There is no peace for the wicked, says God. But if we learn from Jesus, as we are commanded to do then we have peace and we have understanding. We have fellowship with God. We have all these wonderful things. Our thinking is right. Um, so um, in your notes there, it says their seed will be taught by the Lord. They had spent years learning from the Babylonians. Now that we will be re-educated in the fear of the Lord and they'll have peace as we've just talked about. And in verse 14, it says they'll be established in righteousness. We'll have the right relationship with God because you'll be established in righteousness. And finally, in verses 14 and 15, they'll be free from oppression and terror. Anyone who attacks them, they will not be successful. They will attack to their own destruction. So these are wonderful things that Isaiah 
is telling them here. Probably not listening to them, but that's what they're telling them. But there will be a time coming where people will listen to the Lord and that they will have peace. Now, um, in your notes there, it says the Lord, in con- it, the Lord is in control. If we refer back to Isaiah 45, 7, through Isaiah, God says, I form light, I create darkness. I make well-being or peace, and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So we see that God is in control. That's exactly what he's saying here. He says, I have created the smith who blows the, fear of coal, blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have created the ravager to destroy. And then no weapon that is focused against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. So God is in control. He creates peace and he sends calamity. Um, none, none of this is by chance. Yahweh is in control and he will vindicate them. That's what he's saying. I want to run this by you. Because <clears throat> um, it kind of made me think of this. I saw this statement, whatever it is, is from God. Kind of reminded me back in the old Greek philosophy back about three or four hundred BC. A guy named Parmenides. He thought motion was an illusion. Things never change. All change is illusion. This motto of what he taught is whatever is, is. That's deep, isn't it? That's deep. Whatever is, is. Sounds like Philip Clinton. Yeah. But that sums up his philosophy. He didn't believe there was change. He thought it was an illusion. And then we have this guy named Heraclitus come along. He says, everything's in a state of flux. It's all flux. You can't put your foot in the same river twice because it changes before you put your foot back in it. So his statement is summed up, his philosophy is summed up in Whatever is, is from God. Um, excuse me, I gave away the punchline. Whatever is, is changing. <laughs> Whatever is, is changing. And then we had this guy come along a couple of millennia later named Charles Barkley. And it, Barkley. It looks like Berkeley. Oh. Like the city in California, or the uh, college in California. It's pronounced Barkley. And he says, nothing exists unless it's perceived. He didn't even believe matter in matter. So his sum up his philosophy, whatever is, is perceived. So we have all these whatever is's. But the Christian needs to learn that whatever is, is from God. If we could just remember that. If the people in Babylon could remember that. Whatever is 
is from God. That is, would be the Christian's formula. Whatever it is, is from God. All right, and Raymond Ortland sums it up like this. He says, God will replace the church's poverty with wealth, her turbulence with security, and her despair with comfort. It is all his doing, and his resources are endless. So, nice little statement there about Ortland. And then Derek Kidner states this. The narrow tent of verse 2 and the shattered Jerusalem are equally outshone by this union of beauty and strength, a glowing picture of the church to be elaborated in Revelation 21, 10 through 27. So, Isaiah 54 should really warm our postmillennial hearts, right? Showing the expansion and the beauty, not only the expansion, but also the beauty of the church and how important it is to learn from Jesus and not from the world. Okay, anybody want to add anything to Isaiah 54? Yeah, Bill. Um, this verse 17, I think this should give us so much comfort where especially where it says, no weapon that is fashioned against yourself shall succeed. I mean, there's weapons fashioned against God's people more than we can count right now. Not just secular philosophy, but actual inventions and mechanisms that are coming against us. And this tells us right here that it's not going to succeed ultimately. It will fail. Mm -hmm. And we should rejoice in that. Yes. When building on the philosophical comments that you read and what Chase was talking about, I think it's in Peter where the people are warned not to assume that because it is a certain way now is the way it was. You know, Science wants to ignore Noah's flood and how it changed things. But that also means the way it is isn't the way it's going to be. We don't know what God has in store for the future for this world. No. You know, what even catastrophic, catastrophic event he could cause that would just turn everything upside down. Right. Okay, good comments. Anything else? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. All right, we will go on to the next page in the next chapter. And Jill, it will be your turn to read for us the first, let's see, I think it's five verses. First five verses of chapter 55. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David, Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, 
and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. All right. I recall again the statements that we read from Derek Kidner at the beginning of the last chapter. And I will read that to you again. He says, this chapter's exuberance, he's talking about chapter 55 here, peace and security spring from the declaration and death just described of the Lord, which at 52.13 cut across the description of the great homecoming. In Christian terms, the Calvary, or the cross, in chapter 53 is followed by the growing church of chapter 54 and the gospel call of chapter 55. So we have the atonement, the growing church, and now we have the gospel call. So that gives you good context of where we are now. There is a lot of people that study Isaiah say, well, there's really no rhyme or reason in the order that things come in here, but there is. There's more than they think. Um, <clears throat> now, Isaiah is issuing a call to those who thirst. Now, um, out of the English standard leaves out the first word, which is hope. And can anybody guess the Hebrew word for hope? Hope. That's right. Absolutely, it's hope. <laughs> All right. Well, they just changed it to come. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what the New American Standard Bible does there. It says hope, exclamation point. Okay. All right. It says, come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. So Isaiah is issuing a call to those who thirst. The call is one that promises to deliver from a state of captivity to a state of dominion. From captivity to dominion. That's what we're going to see in here. Okay, the people in captivity can quench their thirst for free. He says, come, you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Pretty hard to buy stuff without money, isn't it? Well, that's exactly what we're doing when we come to Christ. Um, Dana, will you look up for us Revelation? Let me find it here. 22, verse 17. And um, Owen, um, John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And then 635 after that. Okay, so uh, in your notes there, the people in captivity can quench their thirst for free. This same call is still in effect. Look at Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. The water of life without cost. 
We will elaborate on that a little bit. And this is a call to come to the Savior. John 4, 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Okay. And then John six thirty five. when I tell you to. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus says, I give you the water which will quench your thirst forever. He's not the living water. He says, I will give you the living water. And of course, he's talking to the woman at the well who would have to go out every day with a heavy bucket, draw water from the well, and take it back. And she was kind of tired of doing that. And Jesus says, I'll give you water, that living water, that will last forever. And of course, she was, being the literalist that she was, thought she wasn't going to have to come back to the well but she had something much better. She had Jesus, the living water. All right, John 6.35. Yeah, 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. <clears throat> if anybody believes in Jesus... That quenches their hunger, <clears throat> spiritual hunger. And they come to Jesus, their spiritual thirst will be quenched. Now, um, this is the universal call of the gospel. And it is repeated in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Incline your ear and come to me here, that your soul may live. Now, this, is, this call goes out to all men. Um, it's a call of the gospel. Of course, some come and some don't. But it is a universal call. It goes out to all men, both saved men, both the elect and the non-elect. Hear the message. All right. So it goes out to men in general, but is only effectual to the elect. All men in general, but only effectual to the elect. Some will hear and believe. Some will not believe. And the ones that believe and come, they have an effectual calling. And in our Westminster Standards, Westminster Confession, Chapter 10, it talks about this effectual call. Westminster's Confession, Chapter 10, Section 1. All those whom God hath predestinated unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. And then it goes on to some other things that happen at conversion. But it's what we have to realize is we are to preach the gospel to all every creature, according to uh, Mark chapter 16. We're to 
preach the gospel to everybody we can, knowing that some will respond and some will not. It's not our duty, it's not for us to know who the elect are and preach only to them. We, we preach to men and the Holy Spirit will call in the elect. The fact that God has the elect that will be saved is no reason not to preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, that's any, any other comments on the effectual call? Those who hear these words will come. All right, verse 2 shows that the children of Israel, like most men, pay no attention, but in effect pursue worthless things in their lives. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, or you labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you spend your time, your energy, your money, everything you have on worthless things? So those who pursue worldly pleasures apart from the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord over their lives, they are spending their money for that which is not bread, for that which is worthless. Look back at Proverbs chapter 1. And I don't know, I'm, I'm just thinking... Of course, you're always evolving in the way you talk about Jesus to other people, trying to show them what fools they are for not believing in Him. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this to you and make some comments out of Proverbs chapter one, beginning in verse twenty. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Now, is that the general call or is that the effectual call? That shouldn't be hard. It's not a trick question. General call. Yeah, that's a general call. Wisdom crying aloud. Why are you continuing in those kind of ways and acting like fools and hating knowledge? So that's the general call. And then in verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you I will make my words known to you. So, he is in um, anybody that turns at the reproof, they would be responding there to the effectual call. Only the elect, the elect and them only respond to the effectual call. Now, there's a huge warning here for anybody who doesn't. Verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen, 
have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof, what's going to happen? He's going to feel sorry for you when you, when you finally repent, right? You can always do that. You can repent at any time you want. No. Wisdom, Christ, he says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror, terror strikes you. <clears throat> terror strikes you like a storm, <clears throat> and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, and distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon thee, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find thee, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord and would have none of my counsel, and they despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat of the fruit of the way. They shall be, have their fill of their own devices. This is a warning. Paul says, now is the day of salvation. Um, people that put off coming to Christ, they're playing, they're playing a dangerous game. Some people believe that they can repent on their deathbed. The, the thief on the cross did. But it's what they don't realize is there were two thieves on the cross. And one did not repent. There is no promise that if you don't heed the gospel call today, that if, if, you, if you decide to later on, God's, God may not hear you. He doesn't have to be merciful to you. So, they do, uh, unbelievers do not need to put any trust in themselves that at a later date they're going to be able to come to Christ and He's going to listen to them. It should be a firm warning to them. All right, we'll finish up on the notes here. Uh, last part. He is offering them the benefits which are the faithful mercies of the covenant He made with David. God made him a king and promised him everlasting kingship. So compare that with the sorry state at the issuance of this call of Isaiah. They're in captivity. They're promised kingship. So this would again be a promise of dominion for those heeding the call. A promise of dominion for those heeding the call. All right, that wraps up what I want to say today. Anybody have anything to add, subtract, rebuke, or repeat, rather? All right, bud, will you close this, please, today?